Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is taken from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort, who comforts us all in troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses one through five. Privilege. Oh, there we go. It is my privilege to announce our speaker of the hour, Dr. Ed Gray. It's been, as I mentioned, a wonderful weekend here. We have learned so many things from Ed. He's basically spent his lifetime in helping and comforting others, and we are very grateful to have had him in our presence this weekend. Now about Dr. Ed Gray. Dr. Ed Gray is Professor Emeritus of Counseling Teaching for Harding University since 1993. He has counseled individuals and couples for over 40 years. He is an approved supervisor and clinical member of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. In April 2005, he received the Distinguished Teacher of the Year Award from Harding University. He is the author of several 12 Conversations programs for helping individuals utilize the power of stories to support one another in facing various transitions in their lives, and you can find that online. Ed and his wife Rhonda have been married for 44 years and speak often on marriage and mentoring. They have lived in Tennessee, Louisiana, and California. They are the proud parents of three adult sons and two daughters-in-law. He served as an associate minister in Louisiana, a psychologist and marriage and family counselor in California, and currently is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a licensed professional counselor in Tennessee. Ed, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much, Vince. I appreciate the hospitality that's been uh, shown to me through this weekend. Your kind words have been wonderful, and it's just been a joy to be part of this church family, just kind of be adopted in for the weekend, and you have done such a splendid job of that. So I thank you for that. Uh, I understand our worship time is a little extended today, uh, and so we'll be going through the rest of the hour that, that, uh, till, uh, 1130. Uh, give you hope that this sermon will end, speaking of hope, uh, in our lesson, uh, today. Though I did have a good brother who said, I've got a tidy sum of money I would give you if you preach for two hours. 
I, I think I'll decline his kind offer uh, and pass on the tidy sum of money uh, that he, uh, I think, humorously was was offering. But we will uh, wind up uh, at 11:30 uh, today, and we so appreciate what's been done for our young people, our children, uh, this weekend, as they, on their level, have been uh, shown about helping hands, and that they are the helping hands of Jesus. And so this has been a tremendous weekend uh, for both children and adults. And today, this is kind of a self-contained lesson. We've been on this journey, this idea of the reflections of the comfort that God is that source of comfort. He's the father of all compassion and that he comforts each one of us so that we can comfort others with that comfort he has given us. And so part of what I've been doing this weekend with those of you who have been through and for those of you who haven't been a part of our seminar, it's online with the church website. You can go look if you're curious about anything and or I would encourage maybe in your small groups, you rewatch some of what we've done or you watch the Landon Saunders video that Jay's made available to you um, that you then talk about that in your small group. Um, that how do we live this out? And I would grant you, this is not the most in-depth, verse-by-verse Bible study kind of weekend, but this is taking the principles of Scripture and how do we walk this out in our lives as we day in and day out encounter people who need God's compassion. And I think with great humility, we remember that we ourselves are in need of that great compassion, Comfort, mercy, and forgiveness. It's interesting, when I was in graduate school, you know, usually you read big, thick, heavy books. If you dropped them on your foot, it would hurt. But I read a book from a counseling professor who recommended this little paperback book years ago. And the title of it was, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Why am I afraid to let you know that I'm in need of God's forgiveness, God's comfort, God's compassion, God's forgiveness? And the bottom line to this very simple book was, if I really let you know who I am, no matter how many years I've been a Christian, if I really let you know who I am and you don't like me or you don't accept me, I'm sorry, that's all I've got. And so oftentimes in our Christian walk, we kind of hide behind a bit of an image. And so we want people to look at us as that Sunday face that they see us. And they don't realize that we have the very same struggles that one another, that each of us have. And so the power of this book Last name, uh, Powell, was the author. He said, we have to have the courage to be known and to let each other truly know each other and let the mask down that we all are in need of God's grace, God's comfort, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's forgiveness. And that's really foundational to the lesson that we have This weekend and specifically what we have before us today, 
So I'd like for you to think about what we're doing in today's lesson on two levels. One ear continues the theme of our weekend. How do we extend God's compassion and grace? How do we listen in ways that build relationship and build connection? How do we ask questions that are answerable, that aren't just, why did you do that? Or why haven't you changed? That's kind of our paradigm of the past. We're trying to look at something different in how we help people. So listen with one ear about people helping and the continuance of our weekend. The other ear, I'd like for you to listen to God's mercy and comfort and compassion in my life. And how do I grow? How do I change? How do I have hope? That this grace really does come to me and I can be honest that I need it and I have hopes for change. I want to be a little bit more like Christ each day. This side of heaven, the transformation of being in the likeness of Christ by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of our hearts. Listen with that ear for yourself. So consume the sermon for you personally with this ear and for the other ear consume this sermon as this is equipping this is part of our grow uh, weekend this is part of our grow perspective in this church of how do we magnify God's community and multiply God's community so that's what I have for us uh, today one of the things that I find just really fun to do uh, because I do counseling, and though I'm not teaching anymore full-time and teach only one class once a year, I'm really enjoying semi-retirement. But through the years, I have really enjoyed fixing things. I can go out in my workshop, I can go out in the yard, I can pull out the tools, and I can put it to whatever project it is, and I can fix it. So how many are DIYers here? Raise your hand. And, you know, one of the beauties of DIY versus what I did as a younger person when you had to go to a generic book, you could go to a YouTube video and you can find specifically everything you need to know about XYZ project and see how several people have done it differently. And you can just know step by step by step and what to do and you fix it. And I have a real sense of... I did that. In fact, the last thing that I was looking on YouTube, very surprising who taught me, but it was a woman who was giving this particular brand of Honda uh, engine, the carburetor, uh, rebuild, tear down and rebuild. And I was kind of surprised. This is a woman who's doing this out of her small uh, engine repair shop. But I, I, I was confident and I knew what I needed to know. You know, unfortunately, people are not like carburetors. And that's probably why I enjoy working on something that I've seen a YouTube video about or a project to fix things. Because I'm in control. I can make this happen. What we've been learning this weekend is people are not carburetors or DIY projects that we can fix. We come alongside with the comfort God has given us in our troubles We come alongside in relationship with people, 
Not with words of advice. Have we even talked about that any the entire weekend? I had a couple of slides we didn't get to, and maybe in your small group you'll look at them, and if you don't understand something, ask Jay. He's been through the class, my class at Harding. But advice is not part of the fixing, and yet that's typically what we want to do. Hey, it's been this way in my life, so why can't I help you adopt the way I have fixed it or I'm working on it in my life? Advice is not our paradigm. Relationship and listening are our paradigm. And it's out of that relationship safety. I can let the mask down of my life and be known and for you to hear my hurts and for you to be God's radical presence and hands of mercy and grace to receive me. It's out of that safety that people grow. It's out of that safety that hope ignites. So that's what we're about today. You know, Jesus, as we think about other biblical reflections this morning, as we begin our lesson, it's this idea that Jesus listened to people and Several in the audience gave illustrations like of Zacchaeus or Mary Magdalene or other people who were troubled or had physical uh, illness issues or disabilities and how Jesus encountered them. And most times it was out of times of relationship. In fact, you know, Jesus got criticized for spending time with tax gatherers. To look down upon society as the scumbags working for the Romans, exacting taxes out of the Jewish people. Or or women of ill repute or sinners of all stripes. And we see Jesus being criticized for spending time with people whose lives were in great need of grace and forgiveness. But it's out of that power of relationship and Jesus listening to people, he engaged them. As we look at 38 different parables in the gospel, might be an interesting small group study just to take the Bible and look at a list of parables. And what was it about the quality of Jesus's interaction with people that set up change for them? I'm very struck with the Good Samaritan, because the Good Samaritan had stereotypes and prejudices applied on him. He was of mixed race. He was looked down on by Jewish society. But here's the Good Samaritan being the example of God's grace, God's mercy. He took time. It cost him money. And whatever he was on his journey doing, he took the risk for this Jewish man who was beaten Robbed, left for dead. The Good Samaritan had margin in his life. And I, I kind of don't like identifying with the priest and the Levite who saw the need, but they kind of went around. They didn't have time or they didn't want to become unclean or, or get their hands dirty, if you will, in the mess of that man's life. And yet that's what the church is about, is the ministry of the Good Samaritan. How do we get involved in the midst of the mess of one another's lives within the body? The mess of lives outside the body of Christ? The Good Samaritan shows how we go beyond 
stereotype, how we go beyond prejudice and we give of our time, our hearts, our hands in which to serve. I'm also struck about the prodigal son, which really could be relabeled the story of the faithful father. And I read a book on the way here because as I was preparing some thoughts for this lesson, I I ran across something that said Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, gives us a different perspective. And he really does spend a lot of time with the younger brother, the prodigal, and we're all the prodigals in our life, whether we like to admit that or not. We're all the prodigals, and we're in need of grace and mercy, and we've done stupid things. We've done disastrous things. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I often get uncomfortable when I think about the older brother because, well, I've been faithful, God. I've And I, kind of that resentment, and here's all this attention given to the prodigal and how wasted his life has become and the resources of his father, the rejection. And so I I really get kind of uncomfortable in that storyline when I identify more with the elder brother. We'll come back to that at our invitation time. But Henry Nouwen encourages us to take a look at not just getting caught up in the storyline of the prodigal younger brother and the older brother resentful who won't go into the party, by the way, of celebration. And he rather would hang out with his anger and resentment and not joining in God's party or the father's party for the return of the prodigal. But Henry Nouwen, in The Return of the Prodigal Son, spends time also talking about the role of the father in our lives, the role in our lives as Christians to be the father. The faithful father who receives, who entreats the elder brother to come into the party, who rejoices with the return of the younger prodigal son. That we, and that's what our weekend's been about, is how do we get to fill in this role of being that faithful follower? If you make the analogy of the resentful brother, the elder brother who's been, you know, faithful to the father for all these years and, you know, charter member of the church. Being invited into God's party or we think of the prodigal being invited into God's party, God entreats us both. And so how do we help people ignite change? How do we become part of God's answer? Well, part of it's by having a vision, by having goals. And I think all of us would say, yeah, heaven's my goal. Big, big, big goal. Great goal. And we do this every day a little bit more being transformed into the likeness of Christ by the renewal of our minds. And all of us are on that journey, whether we know it or not. And one of the things I'm privileged to do is I get to teach People that are training for ministry, men and women who are training for ministry, and they take my basic counseling skills class, some of which we've done actually this weekend. And I have each student as one of their assignments. We don't read a lot of books or some books that 
be very compassionate to Jay as he's in grad school at Harding. Uh, he's got a class this semester, many heavy books that would hurt your foot if you dropped them on your foot. But I'd have them read less but experience more. And so I have them do a personal change project. So years ago, I had a student, um, and I encouraged them, don't talk about I need to drink more water and eat more broccoli and be a little more healthy. I want you to do something that has spiritual significance, that has emotional impact in the relationships in your life. Get something that somebody might be bringing to you to help be compassionate and help, you know, ignite hope in their life that their lives can change. So this student years ago, um, he realized he was not doing well with his 15 year old daughter. In fact, he had an anger problem and his daughter was the favorite target of his anger because she really couldn't do anything about it. And there was one morning here at the beginning of our class when they were thinking about what's my personal change project that I'm going to work on myself on like I might be helping someone else in ministry about. And he said to me, Ed, I realize I'm losing my daughter. And I blew up at her the other morning over something that's about this small. She took too much of the sweet roll sugar packet that came with the sweet rolls and put it on and heavily put it on her sweet roll. And there was not enough for her little brother, really. And he just blew up at her. Hmm. And so I so appreciate this about this student that he realized I've got to change because my daughter doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And over the course of the semester, he incorporated some of the change project ideas that we came from with some of the counseling skills that we've talked about this weekend and some that we'll talk about further in our lesson this morning. He started started doing that for real for himself and he began to figure out the patterns of why and when and when he tended to blow up most and um, I won't tell you the rest of the story uh, of the details but I will tell you the outcome the hope and the work that he put into his life and the changes he needed to make in his heart his behavior his words his interaction with his daughter he said at the end of the summary essay that I have them write about their personal change project, he, he said, Ed, I've gotten my daughter back. And it's not been about her change. It's been about the change of my heart and the change of my mouth and the change I've made to be better in the likeness of Christ in the heart condition and the mouth condition that I found myself in. And so for some 15 to 20 years that I've been teaching this class, I've been privileged to be part of that journey as people who are in ministry who you might not think, oh, they don't have that problem or, you know, they're way beyond that kind of issue in their life. I've been able to help them see the mercy and grace of God through this year of applying it to themselves, not just counseling skills, knowledge. So I hope we do uh, some of that today. In fact, I would encourage you, think about something that you want to change in your life 
and use today's lesson to help you to be made new in the attitude of your minds, like Ephesians 4 would say, and to put on a new self that is like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we're not talking about playing church or playing holiness. We're talking about really a new self and being renewed in the likeness of Christ. And I like to think of a paradigm that you can use. When you're tempted to do something or spout off or be resentful or angry or whatever you might say unkindly to somebody or do, think about the fruit of the Spirit and think about Galatians as a sense of, here's kind of a checklist. You know, pilots have a checklist. They keep us safe. They keep us in the air. They bring us to our destinations and take us back home. And they do a checklist, even in a sense of an emergency. Remember the movie Sully? Sully Sullenberger, who landed the plane in the Hudson River because they had a bird strike in the engine. And instead of panicking, he went through his water landing checklist because he knew he couldn't get back. And he did the checklist and Everybody survived. And though he was criticized by the FAA in the U.S. for, you know, why didn't you follow the control tower and bring that plane back? And he said, I wasn't going to make it back. And everybody would die unless I had the courage to do something different than what I was being told to do. And so he went through his water landing checklist And they got about two-thirds the way through it, and it was time to put it down in the water. In the cold, frigid waters of the Hudson River. But he also was wise, and he knew, I want to put this down in the water near the tourist boats that would travel around the Hudson uh, River Bay there, around New York. Because he knew if he put the plane down near those boats, they could come out quickly and rescue the people off the wings and out of the water before disaster struck and a plane might indeed go down. So treat the fruit of the Spirit like our water landing checklist. And so when when we're tempted to be filled with anger and rage in the moment of how frustrated we are, think about what is my heart? What are my words? What do my hands need to do that exhibit love, not rage? When I'm thinking of bitterness and sarcasm and envy, I know in my younger years, I particularly love sarcasm. Because you didn't really challenge authority, you just made fun of authority. Sarcasm. How do I, instead of doing something that is bitterness of heart, how do I think about something and do something that's more joy-focused? Or when I'm upset about something, how do I hit the pause button And take some fruit of the Spirit and take a bite of peace, perspective, step back, slow down, hit that pause button. When I'm impatient and I'm tempted to take the shortcut of how to deal with a problem, how do I find patience 
And no, the fact that I'm impatient is probably the fact I really identify with that. And I've been there in my past and or I'm in there in my present and I don't like it. So I really can't stand it when I see it in your life, in this situation. It may be a child, a daughter, a neighbor, a friend or somebody you don't know that's crossing the street, not obeying all the rules of the street signs. How do I hit the pause button and go for patience? Or how, when I'm thinking, I can get this person, nobody will really ever know it. I can do payback. I can get revenge. And how do I hit the pause button and say, how do I do the fruit of the Spirit and exhibit kindness even when I have been treated unkindly? And how do I turn the other cheek? And how do I make gospel message from Jesus live out in my life? When I'm disrespectful, how do I choose respect and goodness? How do I go for faithfulness instead of distrust? And I'm on my guard around this person. Maybe we need to disarm by saying, I know we haven't had a good relationship. I'm wondering what we might might be able to do about this. How do we choose faithfulness and trust? And how do I exhibit gentleness instead of harshness in relationship? If this could be our water landing checklist where we then exhibit better self-control instead of losing it. We do that beginning a little bit each day. Between now and this side of heaven, our spiritual growth will take us into places of hope and honor. So recently, and it's kind of interesting as a counselor, uh, as long as you've got your memory and your uh, personality wits about you, I think you become more valuable, and it's why I'm enjoying doing it in in semi-retirement. But I, I ran across this model. And it, it kind of, if you're thinking about this year and what am I going to do in my life about something I might like to grow and change in to be more in the likeness of Christ, think about that for a moment. What is your hope? What is your desired outcome? That's kind of like step one. I've got to have a vision of who I want to be in Christ with my family, in my marriage, at my work site, in my community, with my neighbors, with strangers I encounter. What is my hope? What is my outcome for who I need to be and what trait I might want to be working on? Think about when did that happen in the past? What did I do? What was going on in the past when I did exhibit this sense of who I want to be? And then what resources do I have now to, to, to work on that? And so that's step one, step two, step three. And then step four is kind of imagining how am I going to feel when I'm doing that? I'm going to feel not ashamed. I'm going to feel some sense of satisfaction that God's changing me, my behavior, my words, my attitudes. I'm, I'm going to feel good. And so you kind of think about steps one, your hope, when it's happened in the past, and maybe it's a rare exception, but it, 
Nothing happens all the time. Even when things are bad in our lives, there are times when even when things are less bad or we remember a time in our life when the problem didn't exist, it did happen in the past. And I do have some resources in the present to bear to bring to this situation. And how will I be feeling if I do it? Now, that's all kind of in that staging, planning kind of thing. And then here's step five. What is my first step? A journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And it may feel like it's a thousand miles in the change of our heart, our behavior, God's grace helping us do a 180. It happens with the first step. So how do we do that first step? We've got to set goals. It's best when it comes from within yourself, not given to you by somebody else. You've had somebody give you advice and tell you what to do, and you already knew what to do. I just don't know how to get started with the first step. Think about all the people who had thoughts about that prodigal son. And the story comes out in Luke 15 that it was when he came to his senses, when he hit bottom, as Celebrate Recovery would say, or any kind of recovery ministry would say, when you hit bottom is when you're more open to change and you realize, I've got to change. Well, the prodigal son was starving and he wished he could get the food the pigs were being fed that was his job and no one would give it to him. And he came to his senses, Scripture says, and he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He did remember he had been a son. And he had been in relationship and he'd been in his father's house. And he remembered who he was. He came to his senses, said, I'm going to confess this and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he took his first step on that one, two, three, four. He made step five and took his first step. He got up and he went to his father. When we set goals, they need to be um, an acronym I call MAPS. We need a map. We need to kind of have not necessarily a, a, a systemized YouTube about a Honda 190GX engine carburetor. It's not that specific in the helping things. We do need some encouragement and presence and somebody to listen to us. But when we set up goals, it needs to be measurable. It needs to be attainable, something reasonable. It doesn't need to be such a big, hairy goal that we can't take a first step. So it's got to be attainable. It's got to be positively stated, not the absence of something in our lives. It's got to be positive. It's got to be specific. And so let's look at that. If it's measurable... And somebody were following us around with a video cam camera, not in a creepy way, but in maybe kind of a psychologist watching 
you know, what are you doing differently? We would see things happening. We would see behavior. We would hear words. We would understand that there's different behavior going on. So could we measure it and say, okay, check mark, check mark. I see it happening here three times this morning, twice this afternoon, and eight times when I get home in the evening and I may be tired and less than on my best behavior with my spouse or with my kids. And I'm tired and I'm spent and I put it all out there for the employer at the office or the work site. Can we measure as if a video camera was watching and documenting our day? Could we measure the change? Is it reasonable? Is it attainable? It's interesting. Michelle Weiner Davis, who's a, a, a well-known therapist in, in the States, she was kind of feeling really good about herself as a counselor. I've heard her speak at national conferences several times, so she's kind of a big thing. And so she was asking this woman one day who'd been in counseling with her for some time. You know, I'm wondering as we kind of reflect back on our counseling, you know, what is it that that's happened here that that has been the change that the pivot for you and and helped you get to where you are today? And Michelle was kind of waiting to feed her ego, thinking it was something really brilliant that she had said in counseling or challenged or done. And the lady said, I know exactly what day it was and what visit it was. You just made an off the cuff comment and said you thought I was a competent woman and I would figure this out. And I went home that day. And I believed you and I started changing. It was out of just a gentle affirmation. I believe you're a competent woman and you'll figure this out. You can imagine what that does to deflate a counselor's ego, thinking they've been some brilliant uh, intervention, some brilliant thing that they've done or said. And it was something very simple. That they said she believed in this woman, that the woman would figure it out. And she did. So is the goal attainable? Can we restructure it so that it's in small, solvable chunks? A goal needs to be positively stated. You know, in Scripture, if instead of saying, I want to stop doing X, Y, Z, I want to stop thinking about pink elephants, what did you just do? You thought of a pink elephant. How can you not think of pink elephants if, if you're not wanting to think about pink elephants and you keep talking about pink elephants? <sighs> okay, Ed, now you've got kind of a, a, a mind worm, you know, cycling, kind of like an earworm of, of music, something. But when, when we look at Scripture, we see a principle in Luke 11, verse 24, this idea that when the demons were in the house, they were being cleaned out. You don't just clean out and leave absence. You put in the presence of goodness. You fill up the house with good occupants or the demons return because there's nothing positive keeping them out of the house. So it's kind of like 
instead of talking about what we're not getting in our marriage, what we're not getting out of our coworkers, our employer, our bosses, or, you know, whatever's not happening right in our lives, if we'll think about what, instead of complaining, if we'll think about what am I wanting to aim for? And so we look at what's stated positively. And so we turn the problem of thinking about pink elephants What is it that I want to think and what will I be doing when I'm thinking more peacefully? And I'll think about that vacation spot in the mountains or in the snow or when I've gone to warm places and a beach and I'm thinking about how I feel and how I take care and how I rest. We think about turn the problem in our thinking about pink elephants and turn it into What is it when I find peace? What am I doing? What will I be doing when I'm no longer thinking about pink elephants kind of thing? So it's a lot like target practice. And some of you are into hunting and and you do target practice. You don't aim off the target to get better and think about what you're not shooting at. In fact, if, if those of the rest of us who may not be uh, hunters, if you're playing, you know, paper wad, you know, trash basketball. If I look at the edge of the trash basket, how often do we hit the edge of the trash basket? But if I look at the sweet spot in the hoop, in the basket, it's amazing how many more times I will hit the paper crushed up into the basket because I'm I've got a target that I'm aiming at that I want. I'm not thinking about the things off target. So think in your marriage, think about your work relationships. Am I complaining about things or am I being and thinking and aiming for the hope that I want? That's how you ignite hope is by focusing on the part, the target that we want to hit famous counselor years ago said change is often a matter of tipping the first domino. So I thought about putting a a slide in here and I, I saw this awesome video that they tip a little domino on the ground and it keeps tipping this domino and until it's something that must weigh a thousand pounds or more. Change is a matter of tipping that first domino. We couldn't push that thousand pound domino over. But if you Google this and YouTube, whatever, you'll see something that goes like this. They have tipping that first same little metal looking domino and it crushes this race car and the wheels and the fenders and everything just go splat. Massive change happens by tipping the first domino. And that's how we ignite hope. And so we can do things like kind of, okay, how many times am I losing my cool in a given week? And the very fact that we start charting that and making kind of a baseline of behavior or how do I feel a negative seven or negative nine when I do such X, Y, Z negative behavior that I want to change. If we just start monitoring how often it happens, you'll be surprised. The fruit of the spirit list will come into your mind more often because I don't want to have to be putting uh, 10, 15, 20 marks, hash marks on for the week of how many times I've done this thing I'd no longer want to do. And then I think 
that small change. If I'm feeling like at a negative seven, how bad this is, how depressed I am, how angry or resentful I am. Not how do I get that to zero, but how do I take that negative seven or whatever number you give it? And how do I move it down just one number, just one number, just one domino less? And what will I be doing then when it's only a negative six or negative five? We we aim for a target and we make it attainable. We state it positively and we make the goal simple and simply change the most Small item that's doable. So what will we be doing differently? We've talked about this video idea of somebody videoing you. That kind of some accountability, seeing and hearing ourselves. One of the other things that oftentimes we don't want to do for ourselves and we don't, we're afraid to bring it up with other people is kind of like this inoculation you know, when when we're trying to deal with disease, disease spread, we, we we get a flu vaccine or we get a covid vaccine or we we do something. And it, it it helps our bodies recognize this is a problem. We need to gear up the immune system to be ready to quickly recognize this and deal with it. Well, inoculation, when we're talking about igniting hope, it's really helpful what would be likely to get in my way? What would be likely to trip me up? And Miles was so kind to literally not have me tripping on this wire. Thank you, Miles. What? But we don't want to bring that up. Oh, no. What might cause us to, you know, backslide or, or, or trip up with something? We don't want to talk about that. Somebody might actually trip up and then I'd feel like I brought that up or, you know, I don't want to think about that because I really don't want to be doing this X, Y, Z behavior. But here's the value of an inoculation. It lets our spiritual, emotional, behavioral, immune system recognize what's a risk. And if I know where the potholes are and understand we have a lot of potholes here in Winnipeg, uh, I've lived in other cities like New Orleans and even Memphis. We have our pothole problems, but I know where that pothole is. And nine times out of ten, I drive around that pothole. I don't want to keep hitting it because I value my front end alignment or the whole front end of my car. Some potholes that you have. One outside beside the church, I notice everybody just really carefully kind of navigates that. It's not a pothole. It's a rut. Okay. Anyway. And so it actually helps to ask ourselves, you know, what's likely to make me trip up and think I'm going to recognize that and I'm going to go around that pothole. Or we have the courage to be present with someone and we're receiving them in God's grace and mercy and letting them kind of come up with their own knowledge about what they need to be doing rather than advising and telling them. We ask them very kindly. So, you know, I I hear your heart and that you're making changes. What's likely to trip you up? And they then get to talk. And they get to share and they get to develop their immune system spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, behaviorally. They trigger their own immune system to recognize that problem. 
that they're hoping and growing to change. It also, when you ask that, instead of you needing to be the accountable person to kind of control and tell them and what to do, you know, we talked about that. This lets them own the problem. This is my recognition of what I need to be doing differently. This is the pothole that I identify with. They own the problem better. When we care and we listen, we can help people find exceptions because no problem happens all the time. People tend to have a tendency to catastrophize their problems and they keep looping around it. And unless we do what we talked about yesterday and we, we paraphrase and we show them that we heard them and if, if we just, uh, this is the tenth time or that hundredth time they've said this, instead of avoiding it, if we simply hear their catastrophe and we paraphrase it and we somehow validate the emotion, how hard this must be, then they can start moving on and you help them find is there time in, you know, this past week or last month or a couple of years ago when this problem was not a problem. What were you doing then or what do you see that you need to do? They then get things rolling better. So I hope that you'll take this very simple, maybe five-step model, parallel that with the fruit of the Spirit. What do I need? How do I tip the first domino? What is my hope for my life that God needs to grow me and accept me where I am and give me his grace and mercy for me? What do I need to do? When has it happened in the past? When am I aware of this happening what resources do I have? What can I do to help myself? And what will I feel like when I'm doing this a week, a month, a year from now? That encouraged me, encourages me to then take that first step. We talked about the, the prodigal son in the story and the faithful father. He not only calls the servants to celebrate, to bring the robe, bring the ring, kill the fatted calf, celebrate my son who is dead is now alive. He also, in response in verse 24 to that elder brother, for this my son was dead, it's alive. he's alive again, he was lost and found and celebrated. He was explaining to the complaining older brother why they were doing this. And then he urged the older brother. Different versions say it differently, but I love it that he urged the older brother. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in when his father came out to entreat him, to urge him to come in. This weekend of Grow Weekend is not just about identifying problems problems and prodigals and how do we be helpers? How do we be helpers to an older brother uh, and a, a younger prodigal? But how do we take the role of the faithful father, the God of all comfort, the God of all compassion, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can give that comfort that we've been given from God to others? God entreats us. And that's part of our invitation. As I think about our work, 
And I'm not sure where this slide went. Oh, I've got to find this slide. Oh, it cut off on me too soon. Here we go. We've got to do some things differently. So think of this, this, this picture. And here's the boy on one side pulling the mule. And here's the other boy on the other end of the mule pushing the mule. He's about to get kicked. If, if I understand anything from my grandfather who had a mule named Trixie, you didn't get behind the mule. But anyway, so far this boy is still pushing. But don't you think about that when we pull and we push and we, 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 we do the same old, same old that we do, whether it's ourselves and guilt and shame, pushing and pulling on ourselves. Or we do that advice giving or we try to keep, you know, encourage people to feel their shame and their guilt. And all that does is take them down further. The way we typically deal with problems is like these boys are dealing with the mule. But the story goes, an old man comes up to these two boys and he says, boys, I see you're trying to get the mule into the barn. They say, yeah, it's not working. (laughs) Dad's going to kill me if we don't get the mule in the barn. And he says, boys, I think I can help you. And the young man tugs on the tail of the, the mule. And the mule shoots into the barn. He does something different, radically different. He's really present. And he understands the mule is kind of being really cantankerous. And these boys are frustrated. Instead of advice giving, he simply tugs on the mule's tail. And the mule shoots into the barn. What we've been about this weekend is how do we do something different in helping people instead of pulling on them, pushing on them, advising, telling. We want to do radical human presence and be the hands of Jesus to be living out the faithful father, father in the prodigal son. We want to be living out the message of Galatians, of the father of all comfort, who comforts us so that we can comfort others. That's our invitation to you. And this is what I appreciate so much of a church family that wants to be a family of reaching out in Christ's mercy within the body and outside the body in this community. So I honor you. I thank you for inviting me in. And I invite you in to this invitation. If there's any way that this church can, can serve you, can minister God's grace to you, won't you come?